And uh, this morning, I want to conclude this series on the gifts of the Spirit uh, by talking about the power gifts and uh, then some practical things concerning the gifts of the Spirit, some do's and don'ts and things like of that nature. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, I just want to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we look at verse 31, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and then we're going to look at chapter 14, verse 1 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So Paul is teaching us to earnestly desire the best gifts. We need to have an earnest desire for the best gifts. Chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So we have to desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And then in verse 12, even so you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church. What I want to just bring your attention to is in verse 31, he says, earnestly desire the gifts. In chapter 14, verse 1, he once again says, desire spiritual gifts. And in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, we must be zealous for spiritual gifts. So desire the gifts of the Spirit. Be zealous for these gifts. Amen. So we really want to have a church where Everybody is, 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 knows about the gifts and is flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. Every believer is flowing in these gifts, desirous of these gifts, zealous of these gifts. You've got to be enthused about the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. So we want to have that kind of a church where every believer is flowing in the gifts. And it's really encouraging to see that as we've been going through this series, more and more people are, you know, uh, uh, coming to an understanding of these gifts and starting to flow and just blessing one another. It's great. And that's what we want to see. We want to see more of that happen. This morning, I want to conclude this series by talking about the power gifts. When we talked about these gifts, the gifts of spirit, we divided them into uh, three categories of three gifts. Vocal gifts, revelation gifts, and power gifts. And uh, this, we've talked about the other gifts this morning. I just want to talk about the power gifts of the Spirit. These gifts that do something. There are three power gifts in the, in the whole gifts of the Spirit. They're the working of miracles. Uh, they're the gifts of healings. And then there's the gift of faith. So what I want to do this morning is simply define these gifts. Talk about these gifts. Just talk a little bit about how they operate. Uh, uh, help us all understand how these gifts work. And then encourage us to flow and believe God for these gifts. So let's talk about the working of miracles. What is the working of miracles? It's a supernatural intervention into the natural course of nature or events or happenings or human ability resulting in, only, in, in what can only be described as a miracle. It's an intervention, a God intervention into a circumstance, into a, into maybe into a natural event that's taking place, into uh, into somebody's life or in our human ability. It's God intervening and causing a miracle to take place. For example, there could be a miraculous supply. Now somebody is at the end of the road financially and God steps in and, you know, it supernaturally turns that whole thing around. There's a miraculous supply, a working a miracle. Or it could be uh, creative healings. You know, somebody has surgery. They've had their parts taken out and, uh, you know, the doctors actually cut and took it out. But to the working of miracle, that organ supernaturally is replaced. Do you believe God can do that? Amen. 
So that's a working miracle. And you know, God supernaturally replaces or the growing out of arms and legs. You know, some, sometimes people have one leg longer than the other, one arm longer than the other, uh, and arms grow out. And it's, it's God doing something, intervening supernaturally in their lives and causing a creative healing. Overriding nature, calming of storms, changing of weather, or supernatural happenings. Circumstances are going a certain way and suddenly they just change. Or suddenly a door that's been closed so long opens up. All these things are the workings of miracles. And God wants to release miracles to each one of us. Amen. Do you believe that? God wants to release miracles through each one of us. And sometimes it's, oh, poor me, you know, me. Yes, you. God wants to release miracles through you, through your life. To supernaturally cause a change in the circumstance or situation or in the course of nature or in somebody else's life. God wants to release the miracles through you and cause that to happen in their lives. Amen. The end result of the miracle is to meet somebody's need or to turn the lost to the Lord and to glorify God. Look at some examples in the Bible. Now, we, there are many examples. I just picked out a few here this morning. We're not going to turn to the scripture references. I just want to mention them. Think about Moses, the miracles that took place in Egypt. Several miracles through Moses uh, in natural events, in, in circumstances, in the parting of waters. Uh, later on we see as Moses was leading the people out from Egypt into Israel, bitter waters were turned, turned sweet at Marah. I mean, there was this whole pool of water. It was very bitter. People couldn't drink it. God told Moses, cut a tree, put it in the water, and the waters were healed, the Bible says, and they could drink it. So bitter water is made sweet. Water coming out of a rock. God did a miracle. Think about Joshua. In his time, the sun and the moon stood still for a whole day. Think about Elijah. When he went to the widow woman at Zarephath, um, a flour and oil was multiplied. So that the, woman, the widow woman, her son, and Elijah were sustained over a period of time. Rain came after three years of drought. Fire from heaven fell and burnt up the sacrifice. All of these things are miracles. They're divine interventions. Think about Elijah, the parting of the waters of Jordan, a healing of waters and, 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 and of the barren ground. There was a time where the waters, people couldn't drink it, and the ground was barren. So there was no water at all. Elijah takes a bowl of salt and throws it in the water, and the waters are healed, and the ground begins to release water for people to drink. Multiplying a jar of oil to cancel debt for a widow. Now, all she had was one jar of oil. And to the working miracles, that one jar of oil was multiplied so that her needs could be met and her debts could be canceled. A miracle child for a barren woman, a making an axe head float. And one of the sons of the prophets was cutting the tree, and the axe head slipped and went into the river. And Eli Elisha asked, where did it go? He said, somewhere there. So he throws in a piece of straw, and the axe head floats, and they pick it out of the river. That has to be a miracle. Think about Isaiah. During Isaiah's time, when King Hezekiah was sick, the Bible says that the shadow of the sun in the, in the dial went back by 10 degrees. So it's like the earth rotated back on its axis, certain degrees. Think about the time of Jesus. He turned water to wine. Uh, uh, there was a multiplying of loaves and fish. There was a calming of the storm, an intervention in nature. There was a miraculous catch of fish. You know, Peter had toiled all night, not caught anything. And uh, Jesus tells Peter, launch out of the deep, throw your nets in. And he catches a huge catch of fish. That's him working a miracle. A coin, finding a coin in the mouth of a fish to pay his taxes. Uh, making ma the maimed whole, people with missing arms and legs, receiving new arms, new legs. In Matthew 15, 
working his miracles. Think about the apostles in Acts 5. You know, they're walking by on the road and their shadow falling on people, healing them and delivering them. Paul in his ministry turned a man blind. Elemas, Elemas the sorcerer was, was opposing the preaching of the gospel and God speak, uh, Paul speaks and turns him blind. Unusual miracles with the hands of Paul. He lays hands on handkerchiefs and aprons and these are taken to those who are sick and they are healed. Workings of miracles. Paul in Acts 28 is bitten by a wiper but nothing happens to him. He's totally free. Workings of miracles. And so like this in the Bible we see so many, many miracles. God supernaturally intervening in the course of nature, in the course of situations, in people's bodies, bringing uh, uh, miraculous healing and so on. And so God wants, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the working of miracles. That means the Holy Spirit wants to release the same thing, same gift through each of us. Amen. And we must desire, the Bible tells us to desire these gifts, desire the workings of miracles. So when you're in a situation, you're ministering to somebody, uh, and you know that what they need is a miracle, then you and I, we must desire the working miracle so that God can do a miracle in their lives. How does the working of miracles operate? There are several ways it operates, and here are some. Through a spoken word. Sometimes all that God gives is a word, and you just speak it, and it happens in their life. I mean, think about the situation where, for example, somebody, um, you know, you're not being able to sell your land for a long time or your property for a long time. And in a moment, under the anointing, when you just speak the word and say, God says this, 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 the working of miracles goes into place and overnight everything happens. It's a working of miracle because it's a change in the course of that situation. For such a long time, it's been stuck, but one word that's spoken into that situation causes the situations to change, bringing about a miracle. So just the spoken word, just the word that's spoken, it releases the miracle working power of God into that situation. Sometimes uh, it, it, the working miracle takes place with the word of knowledge. So God reveals such and such a situation. You reveal that situation and then say what God is going to do. And it releases a miracle. Uh, sometimes there's also the acting up on the specific word. So God speaks and says, this, God, God promises to do this, but you need to do this. For example, the widow woman who was in debt, Elisha said, take the jar of oil, get the other jars and start pouring it out. So she had to do something. So the word was spoken into the situation. A miracle was ready to take place, but they had to do something. Same thing when Jesus turned water to wine. He said, fill the jar pots with water. They could have taken offense and said, hey, we want wine, not water. No, we want wine, not water. But when they acted on that word, filled it up with water, then the miracle took place. Same thing with Peter. When Jesus said, you go out, launch out into the deep, throw your nets in. Peter could have said, Jesus, I'll try it tomorrow. Yeah. But tomorrow might have been too late for the miracle. It had to be done at that moment. That was the word, launch out into the deep. But as Peter acted on that word that was spoken, the miracle took place. Amen. So this is how the workings of miracles usually happen. That a word is spoken under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When God says, I want to release a miracle into this situation, a word is spoken under the anointing. When that word is acted upon, a miracle takes place. Something supernatural happens. It's purely uh, an intervention. Uh, many times, the, the, the person ministering, as you are ministering, you need to have faith. You know, you, you, you're talking to somebody, and they describe their situation, and you, you know, you can sense the anointing, you can sense the movement of the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, I want to do a miracle in this person's life. And what must you do? You must, you know, if you get into doubt, gone. He loses his miracle and God can't use you. 
So at that moment, when you can sense the moving of the Spirit and you know that God is wanting to do a miracle, that's when you must have the faith to release it. Say, you're not responsible to do the miracle. You're only responsible to speak that word. God does the miracle. Amen. So there must be some amount of faith from our side as we minister and just release it. And say, you know, I really believe God wants to do this for you. You release it through prayer or you release it through a word and you act on that. And the person receiving this many times may have to follow up and do something. Uh, like, you know, there's an instruction in that word saying, you know, go, God will do this for you. Then they need to act on it. They need to do their part to see that miracle take place in their life. Let's talk about the gifts of healings. The gifts of healings. There are double, there's a double plural here. Gifts, plural. Healings, plural. Just telling us that there is a wide variety of these gifts. Obviously, all of this will result in the healing of the mind and the body of a person. And there's just so much, there's a wide word that there are diversities, that there are diverse ways in which these gifts can be released and, uh, and function, but it always results in the healing of the, the body or the mind of a suffering person, the gifts of healings. Uh, so it's a supernatural work of God resulting in the physical or emotional healing of a sick person. Now, we know that bodily ailments can be caused for so many different reasons. You know, sometimes bodily ailments are hereditary. They just passed on genetic, you know, from generation to generation. It's just genetic. It's there. Uh, people uh, suffer generation to generation. Uh, some of it is just neglect and abuse. You know, if you eat a lot of Richie's biryani, your arteries might get clogged up or too much hamburgers. You know? So just neglect, diet, abuse. You know, you smoke a lot, end up with lung cancer. And, hey, you know? So some of, it, some of the ailments that we have is because of that. Uh, some of the ailments we have could be just accidents, uh, injuries that take place because of accidents. Some of the ailments we have could be uh, organic because of viruses and bacteria and those kinds of things and cells just multiplying, reproducing, going out of control. Uh, uh, biological functions going out of uh, malfunctioning, so they could just be biological, organic. And some of it could be demonic. Some they, they could be because of spirits of infirmity, uh, spirits of affliction that are troubling that person. Uh, so there's just so many reasons why people suffer in their body and again several other reasons why people suffer in the mind. And there are many ways that God heals. You know, God can heal, you can receive a healing for example just by you meditating in the word and making your confession of faith. You can receive healing. You can receive healing to the laying on of hands. You can receive healing to the anointing of oil. You can receive healing uh, to the prayer cloths. Uh, there are just so many ways that healing can be ministered. But in the majority of these ways, faith is involved. The person ministering, the person receiving, faith is involved. Now the gifts of healing are different because many times in the gifts of healing, faith is not involved. I mean, think about the person, you know, he knows zero about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are people who work with him at home. Or in his office, sorry. He knows nothing about the Bible. And uh, he comes to church or he comes to a meeting. And he's just sitting there and watching. Maybe he's invited by his friend. He's sitting and watching. And he, he, he's not even having faith in, in Jesus. He doesn't know anything. He's just sitting there. And he's not even praying and asking God to heal him. And while he's sitting there, God just moves upon him and heals him. God releases a gift of healing upon his life. I mean, he's not praying. He's not exercising faith. He's not doing what many of us have been taught to do. In the word of God. He's just sitting there. And God supernaturally releases. There is no faith in wall. He's just there. He's a recipient of that gift of healing. Or many times even us believers. Like if you're sitting in a service like this. And you're just, you know, you're concentrating really hard. 
you're looking at the PowerPoint, you're trying to read what's on the screen, you're concentrating really hard, and without even you consciously exercising faith at that moment, healing takes place in your body. It's a gift of healing. Amen. So God heals in many ways, and one of them is through the gifts of healings that take place uh, supernaturally, many times without the exercise of active faith. Now, there are many examples in the Bible on healing, supernatural healing, of course. I just picked out a few. Some, um, the healing of Abimelech's wife and servants from uh, barrenness. Uh, when Abraham prayed, Abraham prayed. Here was a whole uh, family, whole household of, of, of Gentiles. They were not people of the faith, and yet they all got healed. Um, the healing of Naaman the leper. Again, a Syrian, not, not necessarily a believer in Jehovah God at that moment. But he got healed. He just went and dipped. According to the word of Elijah, Elisha, he went and dipped in the river seven times, and he got healed. And then he became a believer in Jehovah God. Uh, healing of King Hezekiah. Uh, is this another example of uh, supernatural healing? In the New Testament, you see the cleansing of a leper. This leper comes to Jesus. He doesn't come with great faith. He comes saying, Lord, if it's your will, maybe you can heal me. And he comes with that kind of, God, if it's your will. And Jesus immediately heals him, says, I will be healed. And so you see that he wasn't really in a position of faith. He's coming and asking, but he got healed. There was the uh, healing of the man by the pool of Bethesda. When Jesus comes and asks him, will you be made well? He doesn't say yes. He only says, nobody's there to put me in the water. You know? So you really can't say that he was in a position of great faith to receive healing by faith. And yet Jesus healed him that day. A gift of healing just released to him. Even though he wasn't you know, in a position to know who Jesus was. And he wasn't in a position of exercising faith, but he got healed that day. Uh, you have other healings, a uh, healing of de deafness and dumbness when Jesus put spit on a dumb person's tongue. Uh, I don't advise you to do that, but uh, there's healing of blindness with mud and spit. Uh, Jesus puts, you know, made clay and put it on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool and he got healed. There's several ways of the gifts of healing. How do these gifts operate? What are the operations of the gifts of healing? Very often the gifts of healings will operate with the word of knowledge. God says, and missing part of the body, that part is replaced, and all the other associated problems are also healed. Healings and miracles working together. Uh, the gifts of, um, uh, gifts of healings can be released through prayer or just being in the presence of God. You're sitting in a service where the presence of God is strong and you're just supernaturally healed. So the, the gifts of healings take place in so many different ways. I want to give us one word of advice. Don't fight over how the person got healed. Was it a gift of healing? Was it his faith? Was it my faith? Was it somebody else's faith? Hey, forget all of that. Just be happy. The person God heals. Amen. Now sometimes somebody gets healed and everyone is asking, was it gift of healing? Whose faith was it? How much faith they had? Mustard seed, two mustard seeds, three mustard seeds. And we get in all these silly discussions. You know, just be happy. The person got healed. Amen. Find the next sick person. Go on. You know, Find the next person, sick person, minister to them. And don't get so entangled in trying to figure out, you know, how did this person get healed? Was it gifts of healing? Was it this? Was it? Just praise God that God healed. And just be, uh, just be grateful to God for that. All right? Uh, let's just talk a little bit about the gift of faith. And then I want to kind of wrap up this teaching here this morning. The gift of faith is really a supernatural impartation of faith that is outside of your own normal faith that results in a miracle. That's the gift of faith. Now, all of us have our own level of faith. The Bible says God in Romans 12, 6. God, Romans 12, 
3 rather. Romans 12, 3. God has given to each one a measure of faith. Every one of us has a measure of faith already. And then the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, verse 3, that our 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, that our faith is growing exceedingly. So our faith is also growing. So all of us have our own personal faith that is at a level and it's also growing. Now the gift of faith is different, independent of your own faith. With your own faith, you can train your faith, you can develop your faith to, you know, to do things and see things happen and minister to people and so on. But the gift of faith is a supernatural impartation of faith at that moment to get something done. For example, in raising the dead. You know, not too many of us just walk around with that kind of faith that says, you know, goes up and raises dead people. We don't do that all the time, right? But in a particular situation, in a moment of time, God supernaturally imparts that faith to you and you minister the dead and you speak to that person and bring him back to life. That's a gift of faith. Think about Paul, uh, Jane, uh, Peter and John at the, and entering into the temple in Acts 3 at the temple gate called Beautiful. There's a lame man. He's been there for 40 years. He's been lame since his birth. And he's sitting there begging. You know, if it was me or you, I don't know about you, but at least I know what me. I can speak for myself. I would have said, uh, let me pray for you. Can you try to stand, stretch that leg? Now stretch the other leg. Oh, it's hurting. Okay, sit down, sit down. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the way I would have tried to minister to him. But what did Peter do? He walks up to him and he says, Man, rupees and paisas I do not have. But what I have, I do give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says, He picked him by the hand and lifted him up. That was a moment when Peter was given great faith, the gift of faith. It wasn't something you would normally do, just go and pick people up out of their position, in the condition there. He lifted him up, and the Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaping up stood, and, and he ran into the temple, leaping and shouting and praising God. That's a gift of faith that would empower Peter in that moment to do something like that. Amen. So it's a supernatural impartation of faith. Now, you don't find Peter going and doing that every day. All the lame men come on, you know. But at that moment, Peter did it. A supernatural impartation of the gift of faith. So it's very different from uh, our own faith by which we reach out to God and, uh, and receive uh, from God. Many times, the gift of faith works along with the working of miracles. So uh, faith is released and a miracle happens. And that's the whole purpose of the gift of faith. A supernatural impartation for the purpose of accomplishing a miracle, whether it's a healing miracle or something else. So when, when God drops this faith, it's a little different from presumption, right? Presumption means I'm trying to do something, but the gift of faith is so real that, that when you step in and do it, the miracle takes place. Right? And when you, so when you sense God, Releasing this gift of faith. There will be a boneless rising up in, inside you. You will know exactly what God wants you to do or what God wants you to say. And there will be a boneless rising up inside you. You know that's the gift of faith. And then you act according to it. Whether you speak it or you do it in accordance to that faith at that moment. Amen. I want to wrap up this series now just by talking about two things. About developing ourselves in the gifts of the Spirit. And then I want to talk about proper foundations for manifesting the gifts of the Spirit. I'm just going to go through several practical things right now. Some do's and don'ts here. So that we don't hurt each other. We don't get into trouble as we uh, learn to flow and uh, move in the gift of the Spirit. Um, and uh, some of these things I've already spoken to you earlier. 
And so some of this would be a, a repetition or a reminder. Developing in the gifts. You know, all must earnestly desire the gifts. All of us must desire these gifts. Right? Don't say, you know, that's only for the pastoral team. There's only for the cell group leaders. There's only for those, you know, people who pray. No. All believers must earnestly desire the gifts. God wants to use everybody. Amen? He wants to use everybody. And that's why he made you. That's why he made me. Because he wants to work in us and through us. You were created for a purpose. You were created in God's grand design. You're not an accident. Amen. God purposed you and put you on this earth and purpose. So God wants to use you. He wants to work through you. So all of us must desire these gifts. Only when we desire can God release them through us. And we really want to see a church that is really full, uh, 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 full of people who are flowing and moving in these gifts and just enjoying uh, the work of the Spirit. Secondly, understand that the gifts come from God. But we can train them, we can mature them, and we can perfect them to greater accuracy. The gifts come from God, but we can train them. We can develop them. We can learn to flow more freely in them. Amen? I mean, just this, the, all these recent months, I've been, I've been uh, uh, excited to see about different, hear different testimonies of people whom God is beginning to use in the gifts. To hear those testimonies is so exciting. But we need to just keep moving more and more into these things. And how do we develop and train them? Here are some ways we could do it, several different ways. By prayer. The more we pray, the more we hear from God. Our fasting. Fasting helps us prepare new wine skin to contain new wine. And also self-restraint. That is, the ability to keep our emotions and everything in restraint. And to learn self-control. To learn to flow with God. To walk and step in time with God. When God speaks, you speak. When He doesn't speak, you don't make something up. So, there is self-restraint. I mean, God sees that. He can, knows that you will be a person that He can trust more with these gifts. Increasing in faith. We prophesy in proportion to our faith. So, the greater level of faith you have, more you can release. Developing character because character builds trust not only with God but also with people. The more people trust you, the more liberty they'll give to you uh, to minister to them. Uh, keeping accurate doctrine. You know, it's so important to stay accurate in doctrine because if you get off in doctrine, you, the gifts will just begin to go off tangent and you'll be, be, get into very dangerous areas. So stay accurate in your doctrine and receiving impartation. You know, we must uh, allow God to impart to us. Spiritual gifts can be imparted. Spiritual gifts can be transmitted. Paul says in many places, Romans 1, he says, I know I come to you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. Uh, to Timothy, he says, stir up the gift of God that's in you, which is given to you through the laying on of hands. So uh, gifts can be imparted. So we need to receive impartation, have some men of God, mature men of God, lay hands, impart into our lives so that we can add to the strength and dimensions of the work of the Spirit in our lives. So here are some ways in how we can mature what God is doing. Uh, number three, remember that gifts empower your function, whether it's a function in the body of Christ, whatever your function is in the body of Christ, whether ministry officers or, or uh, any other function that you have. The gifts are to empower this function. So every believer has one or more functions. And for your function, God gives you grace and gifts. Amen. So every person sitting here, every believer, every child of God has one or more functions in the body. And God's released grace and gifts on your life. Amen. Tell a neighbor, don't be so amazed with grace. Do something with it. Now some of us are so wonderstruck with the grace of God. We sit down and say, and God says, please get up and do something. <laughs> he gives you grace to do something with it. Amen? 
So the grace of God's released upon your life to fulfill your function in the body. Do it. Yeah. And what you'll find is that uh, there will be more of the certain kinds of gifts flowing in your life because of your function. For example, if somebody uh, you know, has a function of uh, an evangelist, obviously the gifts of healings and the workings of miracles will be more in his life because that's what he keeps using all the time in ministering to people. Right? So you'll find some of these gifts flowing more often, more predominantly in your life. You'll be maturing more in certain gifts than the others. But the point is, just flow in the gifts that will help you fulfill your function in the body. Now, let me give you some important things concerning proper foundation for manifesting the gifts. Some very important things here. Proper foundation for being releasing the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, we must stir up the gifts of God in us. You know, if we, are not, if we don't stir up the gifts, what will happen? They'll become dormant. They just lie in there. Sometimes we don't stir up the gifts because we're just you know, afraid of people. Or we are afraid of making mistakes. Listen, God is perfect. The gift he gives is perfect. All of us are human. We all make mistakes. Right? We all make mistakes. So sometimes, you know, instead of saying you know, the prophecy might come out the wrong way or you might, just, you might say a wrong thing, that's okay. We all made mistakes. I'm sure every prophet has prophesied something that never came to pass. Everyone. The other point is no, we haven't recorded everything. You know? so, so don't be afraid to make mistakes. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But don't let the fear of making a mistake keep you from being used by God, from stirring up the gifts in your life. Um, uh, sometimes we're just lazy, we're just slothful, and we don't want to stir it up. So come on, we need to push ourselves, stir up the gifts uh, in your life so that God can use you. Number two, proper foundation for, manif for manifesting gifts. Number two, don't live by the gifts. Very important. You have to live your Christian life out of your personal walk with God and by basing your walk on the word of God. Don't live by the gifts. You know, yesterday I heard for, a, and I think maybe for the first time, uh, one of our youth pastor coined a new term, so I'm going to take the liberty to use, use it. He said, we shouldn't become prophecy junkies. <laughs> so a prophecy junkie is somebody who's prophecy dependent. You know, that means like he wants his next fix of prophecy. You know, where's it going to come from? You know, under the tree, under the chair, you know, looking for prophecies, becoming so dependent on prophecy. Uh, don't become a prophet. I mean, don't, you know, these gifts are for you to bless others. Not for you to wait for the next prophecy. You know, where is it coming from? So you dial 1-800-PROPHECY, email prophecy at me.com, whatever, you know. And you keep looking for prophecies. And if you don't get a prophecy today, man, you can't function. That means you're living by the gifts and that's not the way you're supposed to live. And very important, don't make decisions based solely on prophecy. Never. That's being foolish and violating the order that God has set for you and me. First in, in priority is the word of God. God's word is our absolute final authority. God's written word. Finished. Then second comes the inner witness of the spirit. The Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God is to be led by the Spirit of God from where? Inside. Inner witness. Third, common sense wisdom. Please use your wisdom. God's given it to you. The Bible says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. After you've done these three things, then comes prophecy. Prophecy is more, it's, it's, it's wonderful, but you must understand its place in decision making. Don't make 
major decisions only on prophecy. No. What does the word of God say? What is God speaking to me in my spirit? What does the wisdom of God say? What has God been doing in my life? Then comes prophecy. Amen? So don't live by the gifts. Number three, don't become presumptuous in your desire to manifest the gifts. Don't become presumptuous. You know, we must desire the gifts, earnestly desire. We must be zealous for the gifts, but don't become presumptuous. That means if God is speaking, you speak. If God is not speaking, be quiet. If God is leading you to do something, do it. Otherwise, temper your zeal and allow wisdom to rule. Amen? Don't become presumptuous and just assume God wants to do this. You know, people get into a lot of trouble when they become presumptuous and uh, uh, think that they are supposed to manifest a certain gift and God is not leading in that direction. Number four, um, the gifts of the Spirit are no indication of spiritual maturity. You know, just because somebody is manifesting the gifts doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. The Corinthian church is a classic example. You know, the Bible, Paul told the Corinthians, you come behind in no gift. Meaning, man, you've got all nine gifts functioning at 100%. And yet to these same Corinthians, he says, you are like little children. I have to feed you with milk and not solid foods. So the gifts of the Spirit are not an indication of your spiritual maturity. There's a difference between spirituality, which is your sensitiveness or keenness to the Spirit, and spiritual maturity, which is your development in Christ-like character and Christ-likeness, character and strength and stability. Two things, they're different. Now, we must have both. We must have both. We need both. But don't confuse the two. Don't think that just because you're manifesting gifts, you're also mature. They're not the same thing. Amen? We need wisdom. We need to grow in God, in knowledge, and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, don't base your identity in your gift. Don't base your identity in, in your gift. You are who God says you are in Christ Jesus. You are who God says you are in the word. Don't base your identity on your gift. Example, if you, must, if you are in a place where you must have a spiritual manifestation to feel that you're really loved by God, that means you're basing your identity on your gift. You know, God never spoke to me today. Two days I haven't had a word of knowledge. Maybe the Holy Spirit is gone. You start singing, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. <laughs> Relax. Don't base your identity on the gift. Just because you haven't had a word of knowledge or uh, a prophecy coming through you the last two days doesn't mean God's forgotten you, He's found somebody else. No. Please, He loves you. Amen. And uh, if you must have other people hear about your gift, then you're basing your identity on your gift. You know, every time you make it sure, make sure that you tell every person, yesterday I prophesied for two hours nonstop. Every person you meet. Of course, you say it in a nice way. I want to testify what the Lord has done. <laughs> Hey, we can see through that. We've been around you long enough. Amen. And we've also done the same thing, so it's okay. The point is this, that if we have to have other people listen to uh, the gifts that have operated through our lives, that means we are basing our identity in the gift, misplaced identity. It's got to be in the Word. Amen. If God uses you to gift, keep your mouth shut. I mean, if you, know, if you want to share something and encourage people, that's okay. But if you do it on the right spirit, it's great. But otherwise, you know, if you're doing it to form your identity, create an identity for yourself, something's wrong. Number six, understand the difference between value and function. There's a difference between value and function. Function is what you do. Value is who you are. Amen. And your value in God is not based on your gifting. Your gift helps you to do your function. That's it. It's like a toolbox. 
You know, the electrician doesn't go home every day and say, today I fixed 20 bulbs. I feel so good. He's just doing his job. He doesn't care how many bulbs he fixed. You know, he's just doing his job. So he doesn't base his value on the gifts, the tools he uses, no. So we make that mistake. We base our value on, oh, how many gifts went through me? How many people? No, that's not your value. Your value is the cross. Jesus died for you. Full stop. Your gifts help you to do your function, whatever your function is in the body. Lastly is guard your motives. Guard your motives. You know, are you promoting your gifts or letting people first see your gift and then make room for you? The Bible says your gift will make room for you. So you just do your job and then the doors will open. But if I want to take my resume, and I remember once I was in Malaysia and somebody came to me. He gave me a card. He said, uh, it says, uh, he gave his name, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, uh, I have started 14 churches. Now, I'm just meeting him, and he's giving me his card with, you know, he might as well have said an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was a little trying to be modest, and he said a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made it a point that the first thing I heard was, I have started 14 churches. To me, it was like, okay. You know, you're trying to tell me that you're an apostle, in other words, you know. Now, so what, what, are we t- what are we doing? We are, you know, we are trying to project our gifts so that people can accept us. Our motives are not right. Let people see your gifts and then open the door for you. Amen. A true, pure word, if it's given with an impure motive, the Holy Spirit will not bear witness to it because your motive is wrong and people will not be blessed. A true word, but your motive was, let me show them I can prophesy. Let me show them the gifts of healings work for me. Let me show. Motive is wrong. Holy Spirit knows your motive. Amen? Now, we can hide it from people, but the Holy Spirit knows. He, he won't bear witness to that gift. So I want to close this morning just by encouraging all of us. You know, we must, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14. He said, pursue love, desire spiritual We must desire spiritual gifts. We must desire to prophesy. Don't stop speaking in tongues. Let's do everything decently and in order. Let's do it the way God wants it to be done to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen.